But we want to remember that God sometimes, when he adds into our life, he adds those things into our life to be used for his kingdom. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going through a series on the Holy Spirit. So, get ready to follow along in your Bible as we join Pastor Mike. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to go into chapter 13, just a couple of verses in review. We remember that uh, Jesus had died on the cross, and we remember when he rose, he told the disciples to go wait in the upper room, and the power of the Holy Spirit would come. And that's what we're talking about here today, is the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit is alive and well on the planet Earth today. And I'm so glad about that. You know, it's funny because I was actually raised in a church that didn't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, you can take it with you when you go, and the disciples did, and uh, there were no more miracles. Well, since the miracles really didn't begin in Acts chapter 2, they're all the way through the whole Bible, why would they end in the last chapter of the book of Acts? And so when we recognize that the Holy Spirit is working in all of our lives today, if you're born again, if you're spirit-filled, there's great things that God wants to do in our lives. Now, we talked a little bit about that last week, how God changes the perspective of our lives when we walk in the Spirit versus when we walk in the flesh. And when we walk as a Christian, but not empowered by the Spirit. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, because it is possible for a person who's a Christian to really move away from God sometimes, even in the Spirit. We want to talk about that because Paul recognized that as well. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we ask you that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And that you would remind each one of us that the work that you've begun in us, you will complete. Your word tells us that you desire to have a personal relationship with us. And so we ask you now that as we read these words, that we would have a better understanding of what you're endeavoring to do in us, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we left off last week, and I just want to review this because I believe it's so important because it talks about, first of all, the unity of the brethren, and second of all, the purpose of the power of God. Verse 27, it says, now you are the body of Christ, members individually. So we're together, and yet we're individual. What one person does affects somebody else, and yet together we can do something we could never do by ourselves. And so I like the family of God, because God empowers us, not only individually, but collectively as a church. And has and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, and I believe the apostles here that are mentioned are the original 12 apostles. 
I believe that is the foundation for the church in Jesus Christ, was that's who that is. Now, there are different groups today that believe that their church has apostles and everything like that. I have a lot of problem with that because sometimes they try to rewrite the Bible. They try to add to the Bible. We have the Apostles' Creed. We have the Apostles' uh, Foundation. We have the book of First and Second Peter. We have the book of John. We have the book of James. We have a foundation for our faith. The second thing he says, he says, God has put in the church first apostles, second prophets. Now those are people who foretell under the anointing of God. And prophecy is important. We know in the early church, there was a guy named Agabus, funny name, but nevertheless, a very important part of the early church. And God had given him the uh, power of prophecy. And he warned the church that there was going to be a famine and they prepared for it, very much like Joseph warned Pharaoh about a famine that was going to come to the land of Egypt. Well, we know God knows the future. And this is one of the great things about us having faith in God is that we have a God that tells us what's going to happen before it does. That's why I believe that uh, biblical prophecy, what's going on in the world today, the nation of Israel, uh, uh, Jerusalem being the capital, all these things are so important because the Bible predicted them over 2,000 years ago. So we find that there are prophets. And there's, by the way, Agabus is the same fellow that uh, wrapped a girdle around his ha- arms. And he said, so is the man that owns us when he goes to Jerusalem. It happened to belong to the apostle Paul. And it, it happened exactly as Agabus had said. Now, after that, it says he's put in third teachers. Teaching us God's word. So important. And, and we realize that I'm a teacher. And friends, you're all a teacher too. You teach your children. You teach people around you at work. We all teach someone. That's why we want to be equipped well concerning God's word. If you don't hear God's word, you won't teach God's word. That's why going and hearing God's word read is so important. Then he says, after that, miracles. Miracles are real, friends. And they happen today. I've witnessed them. I shared in times past some of the ones that I've seen happen that are divine appointed. And then it says, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and variety of tongues. Now, again, uh, gifts of healing. We talked about one of our brothers here in church needed a $300,000 operation, couldn't afford it. We all did a prayer for him and, and laid hands on him and, and petitioned God, not demanding God. Now, God heal like he's a dog. But we said, Father, one who heals, would you please heal? And do you know what? He did. It's amazing. I just talked to him just a few minutes ago. I said, how's your back? He said, it's 100%. No scar tissue. And he's $300,000 richer. I like that. That's the way God works. Then we have, it says, healings, helps. You know, God might have you be a helper. Supernaturally empowering you to walk alongside somebody and encourage them, and to help them, and to have an eye for what lacks in their life, that you, through the Holy Spirit, may meet their need. Administrations, that keeps everything working well. Now, there's nothing better than having someone with the gift of administrations in a church, and nothing worse than someone who doesn't. (laughs) 
That's why somebody said, well, I thought you did it. No, I thought you did it. And everything's kind of goofed up. Well, administrations, that gift that God gives people to kind of keep everything working and flowing the way it's supposed to is so important. And then he says, varieties of tongues. Now, there are different kinds of tongues. And certainly we find that exemplified in Acts chapter 2, where they began to pray in other tongues. Um, They weren't preaching sermons, friends. It says they were worshiping and glorifying God. So he says in verse 29, are all apostles? And by the way, when everything, anything is ever written in the negative in the Greek, the answer is always no. Are all apostles? The answer would be no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have the gift of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Not everybody has the gift of tongues. Not everybody has the gift of healing. Paul right here very clearly says there are different gifts for different people. If you don't have the gift of tongues, you'll have one of the other gifts. If you don't have the gift of miracles, you'll have one of the other gifts. That's one of the reasons why God does this. And so the body acts like a body, not just one thing. And this is why he premises it in verse 27. He says, but earnestly desired the best gifts, and yet I'll show you a more excellent way. What are the best gifts? What has God called you to do? If God's called you to be a helper, well, then maybe a word of knowledge would be a really great gift to have As we discussed last week in the first part of chapter 12, that'd be a really great gift to have to know how to help somebody, to know what the issues are in their life. If you're an evangelist, the word of knowledge would be a great gift to have because you can address issues of people that come in who are skeptical. If you're a prayer warrior, if God's called you to go out and and, and to be with people and reach out to people, maybe the gift of healing would be a great gift to ask God for. So God has different gifts for different people. Desire the best gifts. This tells me also that we can ask God to give us gifts. And so I just want to encourage all of you, ask God for gifts of the Spirit. God, what do you have for me? I want that. And I do believe that God empowers people with more than one gift. And so I think that's great. Now, I think it's unfortunate. Sometimes I've been in church circles that say, well, unless you can pray in tongues, you're not saved. Uh, That's really... Uh, way outside the parameter of God's word, Paul clearly teaches here, not everybody prays in tongues. But you may have another one of the great gifts of the Holy Spirit as well. Now, we do know that many times when people believed in Jesus, they did speak in other tongues. And what were they doing? They were worshiping and glorifying God. I think that's so important. Now, you got people filled with the Spirit. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. This is a church. It wasn't a bar. It wasn't a bowling alley. He, he writes to a church here. And he's correcting them in some of their doctrine. Now, the Corinthian church had gotten off in a lot of things. One of the things they got off on was communion. In chapter 11, they had turned communion into a drunken party. And Paul says, don't you have houses that you can eat and drink in? He says, when you come together for communion, it's not for your better. It's for your worst. Well, they were doing all kinds of goofy stuff. They were baptizing for the dead. Paul says, if you don't believe that we live after, after this life, why are you baptizing for the dead? The Corinthian church was doing a lot of really weird stuff. Yet Paul still called them brothers, sisters in the Lord. 
So just because a person does something weird doesn't discount them from believing in Christ. Sometimes we'll, we'll do that. Well, if you don't see it my way, then you're not a Christian. Well, I, I, I want to be real careful about that. Because ultimately, it's going to be God's word that tells us what's acceptable and unacceptable. And, and so we, we want to always... Rec- I, I, I remember one time I uh, went to a church and they believed that you had to baptize somebody three times forward. Another church believed you had to baptize somebody two times backwards. Well, when the Bible's not specific, I, I don't get too, too on about that kind of thing. Uh, one thing I do believe is Jesus, it says, and when he came up out of the water, so that indicated to me that Jesus was in water. Well, then I understand, yeah, baptism is, is good. That, it's one of the first things that God told us to do as a believer. Now, I don't believe baptism is necessary for salvation, but I believe it is necessary for fulfillment of being obedient to what God has said. That's what the Bible tells us it is. So, desire the best gifts. Again, what are the best gifts for you? Well, again, what's God called you to do? I think this is where we we sometimes take inventory. This is why the Bible says, be thankful in all things, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. When we're thankful, it forces us to take inventory of what we have in our life. When we complain all the time, we're not thankful. But when we're thankful, okay, God, you've put this in my life, you've put this person in my life, you've done this, you've done that. When I'm thankful, I recognize that. That's what God begins to use then in the ministry that he's called us for. We always want to, be, always want to remember that God puts things in our life, takes things out of our life, as a loving father would run down the aisle of this church and grab his son and drag him back into the foyer which I just did. The point is, our daddy puts into our life and takes out of our life things that belong and things that don't belong. If it doesn't belong in your life, blessed subtractions, Jesus is mine. But we want to remember that God sometimes, when he adds into our life, he adds those things into our life to be used for his kingdom. Now here's one of the problems that we have. Chapter 13 is known in the Bible as the chapter of love. But he says, Though I speak with tongue of men and of angels, and I have not love, I become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now, this is really interesting if you look at this verse up close. So let's do that. Though I speak with tongue of men and of angels. So this tells me, that we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We, we can be empowered, friends, by the Holy Spirit. But notice an unusual word here. You might want to underline it in your Bible. But if I don't have love, I have become. It doesn't say you are. It doesn't say you were. It says I have become. So is it possible for a Spirit-filled believer without love in his heart... In other words, the things of the Spirit have grown cold very much the same way that the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 had done. The things they were once doing out of love, now they were doing out of duty. Their love had gone cold. And what does it say? I have become 
Doesn't say you were, doesn't say you are. It says, I have become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. A cymbal, which we have up here in the music department, they have no note. They only make one sound. That's all they do. Clang. And they can either be in harmony with the other instruments, but actually they make no note of their own other than one note. Or they can be completely out of kilter and cause the whole orchestra to go awry. He says, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Disharmony and discord can be caused by that. Now, the reason I, I bring this out is because in our, our relationship with Christ, I believe it's the invisible Holy Spirit that helps us maintain our relationship with him. God in his love for us at different times will come when we are getting off, when we are becoming something God doesn't want us to be, his loving Holy Spirit will come and convict us. I believe this is exactly what happened when Jesus, talking with Peter, Peter says, Lord, I will, I'm willing to die with you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows twice, you'll have denied you know me three times. And we remembered that Peter cussed and swore even that he didn't know who Jesus was. And on the very last time when the cock crew and Jesus looked at him across the courtyard, he was cut to the heart because he knew exactly what Jesus said would happen. And he ran out, the Bible says, and he wept bitterly. Why? Because the Holy Spirit convicted him of what he had done wrong. Now, friends, if you ever come under conviction, it isn't because God doesn't love you. It's because he does. It's because you're a child of his. I thank God for that internal guidance system. Kind of like God puts his own little gyro in us to keep us, not one of those sandwich things, one of those gyro things in us to keep us level. And when the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes on us, we want to listen to that. Like in other words, if you're with a group of people and the Holy Spirit says, get out of this group of people, Listen to what God has to say. If, if you're around or you're in a place and God says, get out of this place, listen to the Holy Spirit. It's for your longevity, for your best in your life. Again, we can ignore that voice of the Holy Spirit inside of us and we can become something rather than a person spirit-filled that ministers and loves. We can become Something that's a creator of discord and disharmony. And that's a, a real problem. And so we need to be careful of that. And he says, although I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could move mountains, I'm nothing. Wow. Now that's pretty impressive to be able to move a mountain with some faith. But he says, if you don't have love... It's for no reason. You see, the whole thing that we find in the Bible, and this is what I believe God is always endeavoring to do, going back to the very first couple of books in the Bible, in Genesis, what did God want from man? Fellowship. He would come and walk with man in the cool of the evening. Isn't that great? 
God would come and actually be part of our lives. And not an unknowable, far-off, outer cosmos, unknowable God, but a God that wants to be a friend, someone that we would visit with, someone we would talk to. You see, this is what all we find through the entirety of the Bible is that God endeavoring to restore what was lost in the garden, that personal relationship with him. You hear that sometimes. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? You'll hear that uh, question sometimes asked. Well, yes, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. Great, that's good, that's wonderful, and that's where it starts, friends, but that's not where it ends. The personal relationship begins where we then have communion or alone time with Jesus. We can talk to him. God talks to us. It's a great time. Prayer should never be just me telling God all the things he already knows. I feel a lot better when I tell God things, but the thing is, God wants to talk to me. God wants to ensure to me his great and wonderful purposes for my life. You see, I can hear a lot of voices. Uh, The world will tell me that I'm nothing unless I buy their product or drive their kind of car or whatever it is they might want me to do. But God says, I love you just the way you are because I made you in my image and I want to have fellowship with you. This is one of the problems that religion does is it circumvents the personal relationship with Christ. It gets a bunch of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and all these kinds of things. When if you have a personal relationship with God, that invisible, wonderful Holy Spirit will convict you of what you should or shouldn't be doing, motivate you into what you should or shouldn't be doing, and then we go from a legal relationship with God with rules and regulations to a love relationship with God. That's what God wants. Now, I want to be careful because I don't want to take that love, personal relationship into the thing of, well, he's my big buddy upstairs. And that's as far as it goes. Because I have to recognize a couple of things about a relationship with God. First of all, he is God. And I need to address him. I need to have the reverence that I would have for him. In the not that I'm fearful of God, the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But that means to respect his position, not cower under your bed going, oh, there's God. Ah! I need to respect who he is like I would respect my dad. I know today in our world, there's not a lot of respect for fathers. We see it perpetrated in the, uh, the sitcoms on television almost nightly on how stupid dads are in America right now. But a long time ago, like maybe 50 years ago, they actually had some TV programs on that actually honored dads. Father Knows Best, some of you that are older remember that. My Three Sons. Even the Andy Griffith Show with Andy and Opie. Dad always had the right answer. But now dad's the stupidest one in the room. But I believe this is part of what the devil is doing to take away the fatherly image, the fatherly idea, the fatherly role and that you have a God that you want to respect. You have a Father you respect, and something great, he respects us. Insomuch, the Bible says, why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I like that about God. You see, I, even though I was estranged to God, God still reached out to me as a lost son. Same can be said for any one of us. 
So we look at this and realize that, first of all, I want to have that respect for God of who he is, that fear. And that fear, again, is not cowarding, but it means to awesomely respect who God is. The fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. The second thing is I want to recognize him as, as my Savior as well. He died for me in my place. He took my place on the cross. That's why that's important. Because I don't want to become flippant in my relationship with God. Hey, God, you know, what you doing today? You know, I'm good. Good, good to see you, you know, kind of thing. But that I can go to God, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Paul says it's the kind of relationship you would have where you crawl up into your dad's lap. You put your arm around his neck. You kiss him on the cheek and say, Daddy, here am I. What do you want me to do for you? That's the relationship God wants. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike, and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship. Thanks for listening, and tune in next time for It's Time.